0: at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So um, some of you were here uh, the last few weeks and I talked about the the Buddha's invitation to happiness. You know, he basically said, I paid attention and there are direct obvious causes for the heart to be happy and if you cultivate these three things you'll find out your heart will be happier the more you cultivate them and the more you neglect cultivating these three things the more unhappy you will be and this is not dogma this is something to check out so if you weren't here it's the Pali words dana bhavana so dana gets loosely translated as generosity but it's Really, an attitude like as you're relating to your partner, your kids, your possessions, your communities, your body, everything—you're relating in terms of that circle of giving and receiving. So you know, sometimes there's there are a lot of words that get a little new agey, like interconnectedness, but it's—it's it's a understanding. It's a—it's an aspect of wisdom that understands that stinginess just doesn't make sense, nor does it make us happy. And again, this is something we can ju- directly check out. Try being really stingy for a week and see how it works for you. You know, your dog wants to go for a walk. Well, I don't want to go for a walk. It's go. Cool, you know. It's like, I value my comfort more than yours, so we're being a little stingy there. Or, you know, innumerable ways, we could choose stinginess... And innumerable ways, we could choose generosity, just like being in that circle of giving and receiving. We take the dog for a walk, and in its own way, it's grateful, you know, and we get to see the happy dog, and that makes us happy, right? So it's not about right or wrong, it's really about this more functional discernment, like what actually, not what should lead to happiness, but what actually leads to to my heart being lighter, freer, happier? Does generosity or stinginess lead to happiness? Because we're always being, you know, stinginess is always being evoked. Whenever we see somebody who may be in need, it always brings up the question, you can't avoid it, like, how much do I need? How much can I share? And it could be just a friend who wants to bend your ear a little bit. And it's like, how are we going to, Like, honey, call me in 30 minutes. So I, you know, like these strategic ways. And I'm not saying we don't need that. I'm just saying that right there is a place to explore that dynamic. Because we also have to be generous to ourselves. So it's it's not like clear-cut to give everything away to others. It's just about, can I be doing everything in the spirit of generosity? and less and less in the spirit of stinginess. And then sila is the Pali word for moral sensitivity, or another way to say this is deeply valuing non-harming. Even though it is impossible as a human being, any probably creature, to not cause harm, right? It's simply life-eating life. That's not a bad simple description of what's going on on the planet. That's how it works but we could still value non-harming. And when we value non-harming and cultivate sensitivity because we value non-harming, is that a cause for happiness or a cause for being tight? And that's something we can check out. You know, being neglectful, not thinking it's my responsibility, how many toes I step on. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. I'm just gonna use the power and privilege that I have to take care of me and my, you know, whatever my circle might, I might imagine my circle to be. And maybe I theoretically care about everybody, but this is how it is. Dog eat dog, use with power I have. Can't, it's not really appropriate for me to not, to kind of care about the harm, the reverberations of my attitudes, my thoughts, and especially my actions as opposed to caring about harm means you see how it kind of evokes an interest. where I guess I have to, if I really care, I have to start paying more attention to the reverberations of my thoughts, my words, and my actions. What's the impact? What am I participating, complicit in? And, you know, when we hear that, it's, oh no, that's definitely going to make me tight. <laughs> Taking responsibility... For all the reverberations of our actions, like, oh, I don't want that responsibility. But we actually want to check it out. Like, what is it? What is the impact on our heart when we disconnect as if my actions, my thoughts, words don't matter? And how do we feel? What's the quality of the mind, the heart, when I live as if it matters? My actions, my thoughts in the world. Because the, the thing about justifying, rationalizing harm, it's really, it only can happen when we separate ourselves out. Which is, you know, when you really start paying attention, you see this is the sure bet for causing yourself suffering. Mm-hmm. Separate yourself and, and cling, identify with that sense of being apart. I mean, we do this in our relationships with our loved ones, right? the interaction or whatever, the relationship isn't going well. So we separate ourselves out. I can't trust that person to make me happy. Can't trust this relationship to make me happy. So I'm going to throw it out of my heart, but I'm disconnecting and I'm going to reimagine my happiness separate from my partner or from my kids or from my siblings or from my community because it can't be trusted. So we, it's, understandable why we want to separate ourselves out the question we have to bring up functionally is does it lead to happiness or not does that move that understandable human move to separate to disconnect now that doesn't mean that somebody who's toxic or abusive or whatever taking advantage of us that we have to bear our soul and let them do whatever right but It just means that we're in relationship and I do care about not harming. So I may have to separate physically, like not be around you, but I don't have to throw you out of my heart. I know you're there and I have a sense, you know, like me, you're a suffering human being. You're a suffering human being that I can't be around right now because I have to take care of myself. I also don't want to harm myself, right? But I don't have to throw you out of my heart. And this is really important for people who want to make the world a better place, you know, how to be fierce in that work, engaged, committed, loyal to the possibility of really setting good emotion without relying on hate or disconnection. Because otherwise what we tend to get is this push and pull. You know, when we make others enemies, then, you know, others see us as enemies. And it's sort of like things may swing this way where we defeat the enemy, but it won't be long before things tend to swing the other way. And it's, you know, war, conflict, and a lot of harm. And then what I really want to spend more time on today is this last bhavana, which is the cultivation, the development of the mind, the heart. What do we do with, and in particular, the the capacity to be present. And I like to think about this capacity to be present, to be mindfully aware, to be open, to see clearly, oh, it's like this. This experience is being known. As a universal solvent some of you maybe have heard me say that other times i'll use the phrase the soft power and and you might remember if you've ever looked or heard the uh, Tao di ching it's kind of the main uh, text in Taoism, this ancient wisdom and uh that arose in china many a couple thousands of years ago and uh The one line that I like, I mean, there's many kind of interesting deep wisdom in in those teachings, but how water is such a powerful force, like carving out the Grand Canyon, if you happen to see that or see pictures of that. I mean, it's a mile down through rock. And water, which is fluid, and seemingly, I mean, I know you've seen raging rivers, but, you know, mostly we think of water as a pretty tepid, kindly force, right? But it has a real soft power. And awareness, this stable, non-judging, kind presence, it's like however entangled our psychological patterns are, you know, the wounds, whether they are ancestral wounds or wounds from this life, ways that our heart has been harmed and haven't been really able to feel into, address that wound, right, just patch it up, try to keep it buried in some fashion because we haven't learned how to be with it. And what we can discover with practice, not immediately, but with practice, is that everything can be open to with awareness. Everything can be included. Even the sensations, the feelings, the thoughts that we're pretty sure are not safe to allow into the light of awareness, we'll find, like the deepest sadness, as an example, or the deepest rage, or the deepest lust, or the most compelling, oh, poor me, story that we might have. It's not fair. And we might think that receiving, feeling, opening, allowing, that is some kind of disservice. It's like we have a story. Let's say we have some place in our heart from the past where we were really betrayed. Really harmed in a way that, in, in in our sense of it, it just wasn't fair. Shouldn't have happened because this happens, right? I mean, there is there are these violations happening all the time. So of course, it wouldn't be unusual for all of us, if, you know, or many of us, to have these kinds of wounds or experiences brewing, simmering somewhere here now. Where else? Where else would the reverberations of the past be? There's no storehouse. The past is completely gone. The future isn't here. So whatever the reverberations of the past are, in Buddhism, we say something like, you want to know the past? (coughs) Open to the present. Uh Because this is the reverberation of the past. This is where... It doesn't mean we're conscious of everything that's reverberating here, right? Because we have capacity for denial and distraction, inattention. But that doesn't mean it isn't here. It just means it hasn't been or isn't being acknowledged. So this is uh, the inspiration for cultivating mindful awareness. It's like how, it's it's a long-term process of realizing that all healing Liberating, healing, releasing, awakening, spiritual realization depends on being able to meet what's here and now fully, without distraction, without denial, without hardness, right? that receptive permission, you belong this feeling belongs, this despicable thought belongs. And we don't have to, We any identification or any attempt to manage what's arising is turns out to be resistance. Sometimes even something that initially is skillful like honey, you know, talking to ourselves, honey, you can open. You can feel this. Can this be? At some point that even becomes... subtle act of separation, like I don't even need to tell myself to open. At this point, you know, the practice is subtle enough that I don't even need that Dharma coach sort of inserting itself, saying, honey, it's okay to open. Like sometimes in our practice, it's really confusing, like what's moving, and the Dharma coach will want to kind of like straighten up the room. (laughs) But the deeper, more subtle wisdom, quietly, without even words, understands this isn't a problem, that things are so murky, so unclear, right? There can be clarity that things are very unclear right now, very ambiguous, undefined. Maybe it's okay. Maybe whatever it is that's moving will keep moving. And the mind doesn't even have to impose the idea, oh, this experience should be clearer. I should know what this is about. But we're feeling something, whatever we're feeling, murky or upsetting or deeply sad. So all that being said, interestingly, one of the ways that really stabilizes present moment awareness is knowing that we can always turn away from experience that seems hard to be with. And the only way we develop that confidence that I can turn away is sometimes turning away. So it's interesting, and and I really invite you to check this out, like, when there's something really upsetting you and your mind you notice your mind wanting to keep returning to it and obsess about it. some often it's like a difficult relationship you need to say something to somebody or somebody said something to you and it has triggered a lot and now you need to figure out what to do about what's been triggered in your own body and mind and uh, sometimes it's really useful to Uh, Let that, you know, just relax and let it unpack itself, let it reveal itself. But sometimes it's really potent to say, Yeah, this is really ripe and alive for me right now. And I'm going to bring my attention here. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go knit. I'm going to talk to a friend about something completely different. But it's not like we're saying no to whatever that difficult experience, it's there brewing, it's just saying, not now, you get to be in the periphery, I'm, I'm not shutting you down, but I'm, I'm turning my attention to this, whatever that is, because you see, it, It's. Uh, it requires a kind of wisdom that understands as unworkable and painful and hard to be with as this is. There's some thread of wisdom that understands it's not so personal that I can't turn away from it. And the kind of silly example I always give you know, if we're being hunted by a predator, you know, the, back in the day when there were saber-toothed tigers around, and I mean, even today in, in some parts of the world, tigers will eat people. Um, but to and knowing that the tiger is in the vicinity has our scent knows that we're here right knows that we're delectable (laughs) and yet turning our attention like we could spend all of our psychic energy trying to be safe from the tiger but we could also brush our teeth you know we could also straighten up the room watch a funny show and that's a That really requires a different attitude about being hunted by a tiger, when we're willing to take our attention off of survival and trying to be safe. And basically, well, you get to belong. This thing that I haven't worked out yet, you know, this problem with this other person or this saber-toothed tiger who has my scent and is looking for a meal, I know you're there, my own death is there, our exposure to Alzheimer's and you know, any kind of. See, I have a little now. I can't, what's the wider word for uh, when you lose your mental capacities as you grow dementia. old? Dementia. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Yeah. Like all the different varieties of dementia, and let alone incontinence and everything else that happens to bodies as they age. And uh, those are all hunting us. And sorry if, you, if you've recently had a good denial going. <laughs> now you're reminded. Just like we could be reminded that as stable as our partnerships might feel or our relationships with our children might be right now, it probably won't always be that way. right? And they may not even be that way now, even though you imagine that the relationship is going pretty well. The other person might have a different idea. And you may not know it. Right? So that, all that uncertainty and vulnerability, those are the tigers that are always there. And the dance and practice, like what we do with the stability, continuity of present moment awareness, is we sometimes turn toward what we don't want to turn toward, and sometimes we turn away. And it's not just with the painful and afflictive emotions, but even the really pleasant, happy experiences that we have. Interestingly, it can be really hard. It's not hard to be happy, but surprisingly, it's hard to acknowledge, to feel the happiness, the joy, whatever that positive emotion might be when it's there. Like to be mindfully aware of it. And, and all it does is amplify the happiness, but it's so much not our habit to clearly feel, to see happiness or joy or you know, just the ordinary positive experiences that come our way, to see them clearly as something being known, something being felt. Try it the next time your cat cuddles up next to you or your eight year old or not having the old your youngest is the eight. Yeah. Wants mommy's attention in a loving way, you know, which is probably more and more rare as they get older. And, uh, and just to like not only receive it, but have that space, that wise, non-judging space that knows, oh, this is this nice feeling when my son wants to cuddle, you know, and wants to be around mom. This is that nice feeling, and it feels like this, and it's just this experience as it is right now. It's not more and it's not less. Do we do that? No, we don't do that very often. Maybe more rare with the positive experiences than with the difficult experiences in life. Bringing that balanced, clear, inclusive, humble, in the sense that we're not drawing conclusions, we're just in the immediacy, kind of aware of the immediacy of the experience. Shelley and I were talking. Um, Shelley, the other guiding teacher here at the center, we're talking um, recently about the big snowstorm and just enjoying being in the neighborhoods that we live in. Shelley lives uh, with Stacy and St. Paul, one of our other teachers, Stacy McClendon. and. Uh, and when Fricky and I, my partner and I, you know, live pretty close to here. And, you know, there's, I don't know about for you, but streets didn't get plowed right away and people are getting stuck over the place. And it was just just the neighborhood vibe, for us at least, was that, you know, we're all getting out there and helping each other because everyone was getting stuck. And, you know, in this world where we don't really know our neighbors sometimes or we don't have too many opportunities to have real conversations And just to be out there doing something together and practicing generosity and non-harming and presence. And just feeling the direct positive effects of that. And it's like, but to have to do that extra thing, which is to know how wholesome it is when it's wholesome. How lightening of the heart that is. That really amplifies the healing and and deepens the understanding. There are a lot of people who are, have a lot of um, wholesome attributes to their personality. Now, who knows where they came from? Maybe through the conditioning process of this life, like the families that they grew up in or the communities they grew up in. But it might be, who knows, from previous, you know, reverberations of previous life that show up in this life. But the thing is, if we're going to uh, really deepen those positive tendencies, they have to be seen in the light of awareness. If they remain unacknowledged, unseen, (coughs) unfelt in in this sense of being mindfully aware, then it's kind of wasted. It's like a nice thing for that moment, but we haven't deepened that tendency in the mind. It's the same thing, like if I'm acting out defensiveness or my habit to be controlling, like with my partner, and I'm not aware of it, then it's likely that that habit's gonna be reinforced. It will be more the tendency of my mind to be controlling and judgmental. But if I see it, it's sort of like seeing that I'm holding something that's red hot. And so what gets conditioned is honey, this is not the way to happiness. You may feel because of the force of habit that to be controlling and judgmental is somehow functional. But what you're finding directly, immediately in your experience is, this is a cause for suffering for myself and probably for others. And that changes the habit. That's the only thing that rewires the tendencies of the mind. Seeing them, feeling them, as they are. That's different than thinking that we have to interpret whether the mind is skillful or unskillful. Interestingly, in Buddhism, you know, in the Buddhist teachings, morality, like understanding what's skillful and unskillful, that's something that's discerned directly through paying attention and feeling. So, if you want to know is what I'm doing skillful or not? I mean, you can ask a friend. They might have some intuition. But what we really want to develop is a, a way of directly answering that question by sensing what is the quality of the heart, the underlying intention or motivation, which is a, can be felt. And when that motivation is operating, when that intention, like the intention to harm, or the intention to take care of ourselves or others, when that motivation, intention is operating, what's the reverberation? In Buddhism, we call this hiri otapa, that wholesome regret, wholesome concern, You know, in in the West, we often would refer to this as conscience, but it has, it's not just kind of a thought, it it has a visceral, energetic, alive quality. It's something, it's part of our experience, but we have to learn to discern it. And it's what, it's like the not knowing how to attune to Hiryokipa, to the capacity we have to be concerned to have regret right to know the difference between right and wrong (laughs) you know what we were supposed to learn in kindergarten or around that age it's just a matter of sensing like being intimate what does it feel like when i yell at this person or when i close down and I notice, I mean, this is, we learn so much when we start paying attention, like, I mean, it's such, I think, in my particular, you know, white culture, straight culture, that I was raised to be, you know, closing down, like I'm talking about my personal relationship with my partner, you know, closing down, It's it's so easy for my mind on the surface to rationalize why I'm closing down. But when I actually feel into what that is, it's kind of like, I mean, I, I see so much. Part of it is like a little gotcha, like, oh, if you're not going to be the way I want you to be, then I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> so that, that kind of, sort of like a four-year-old, so I'm going to hold my breath, you know. Yeah. Sort of, I'm going to refrain from being in relationship with you, you know, I'm just going to be this simmering, quiet, closed-down person, you know. It's a way of punishing the other person and when you see that you realize one it's a very uncomfortable place to be and two i'm causing harm i'm intending to cause harm right and, and nobody wants that actually when you see it clearly we only think we do when we're semi aware or not aware at all that we keep doing these things and there's any other number of ways, you know, your own personal way that you, uh, that we ineffectively take care of ourselves, take care of our pain, basically. And mindfulness illuminates this all. We really get to see it. And a lot of people, you know, they, (laughs) I was reading something, I forget where it was, and they were talking about whiteness. You know, just kind of what's what is the flavor of our predominant culture, at least in the past decades here in the West in the United States. And one of the things they said, you know, in sort of characterizing white culture is uh, awareness. <laughs> I said, oh, no, don't put awareness no. in there. But, you know, there is a shadow to mindful awareness, which is, but it's a misunderstanding like, oh, I'm going to focus on my breath. It's a little bit what I was just sharing like that dynamic I notice in my partnership with my spouse, like closing down, like, okay, I'm going to be with my breath. But awareness is really an inclusive opening to everything that's moving here and now, and especially emphasizing what's subtle, what is otherwise not going to be felt and seen. Because in our business of, you know, Buddhist awareness practice, subtle is more significant than gross. Which is why there's a real emphasis on concentration, not as an escape from the messiness or from engagement, but actually as a support to be with the world. Because that stability, that, that calm, tranquility gives us, allows us to bring more sensitivity, this breath of awareness into our relationships, into our experiences as a human being and we live in a relational world, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) And there's really no way around it. It's like, even when we're using different habits of closing down, that's just our particular ineffective way of relating, right? It's not like you get, there's any way out of being in this relational world. It's really the, sort of the essence of the world, the existence that we have. We share, we're all the same soup little bits in the same soup, affecting the taste of the soup. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of the spicy bits in the soup, you might be imagining that somehow you're independent and separate from the soup. That's you know, you're, that's the spicy bit you get to be, if that's what you choose to be in the soup. You know, this diluted little bit of the soup that thinks it's somehow not in the soup. <laughs> But it's, uh, you know, the the question to ask is, how's that working for us, you know, when we're not wanting to be a part, thinking that that's a possibility. And that's, again, it, it kind of can go to the misinterpretation of some of the forms in Buddhist practice, like going on retreat or sitting silently for 45 minutes in the morning or coming to a Buddhist center and practicing... And just, oh, they're just, they can't deal with life. You know, they need an escape. <laughs> There's a story of Ajahn Chah, so if you know him, he's a well-known Thai Buddhist monk who died in the 90s, early 90s, and uh, but quite famous and influential in Buddhism coming to the West. And uh, he once visited... IMS, this place where I teach, and I've done a lot of practice in Massachusetts, one of our grandmother institutions, Insight Meditation Society is its name. And uh, I forget what it was, maybe mid-80s, he visited uh, IMS, and they were doing this sort of Burmese style of Buddhist practice where you move slowly uh, throughout the day. You know, you're sitting, but when you're doing your walking or even going to the dining hall or going back to your bedroom, you just move slowly and you're mentally noting whatever the mind is knowing, and whatever the body's doing. So if you're turning on a light switch, you would notice the reaching, 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 and you'd slow it down so you'd be better able to notice every aspect of your present moment experience. But from the outside watching people, you look like zombies. <laughs> And this kind of makes the point that I want to make, like we can it's easy for us to judge. Like if we saw a bunch of people doing that, and we go, "That's so weird. That is so disconnected. There are people starving, there are people being mistreated. there's all kinds of injustice. and you're walking around this tranquil little property like zombies. Noticing, reaching, 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 stepping, 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 breathing in, breathing out, thinking is being known, you know, that is the most erotic escape, you'd be better off just, you know, streaming videos, you know, than doing, because at least you wouldn't be imagining you're doing something good, right, the sort of, that holier-than-thou, that, you know, easy to project on people you know, doing spiritual practice. But the thing about, you know, even that style of practice, which may not be your cup of tea, but any effective awareness practice is there's a real unavoidable effect, which is you end up being more sensitive. So when you go back into relationship and back into the duties and responsibilities and having to earn a living and having to interact with a parent or whatever it might be, it's like you feel everything, you see everything. That I mean not everything, but you're in that direction. It isn't easy for things to remain buried. And even just being in the soup, it's not like it's like that boundary of that idea of being apart. No, no, you're feeling the whole soup. And like the whole soup, there's a lot of pain in our soup and a lot of denial and a lot of acting out and why wouldn't we feel that it doesn't matter where you live and how insular it's like we're not actually separate in the way that we're I mean even modern physics tells us this if you haven't looked at some of the more recent insights and in sort of our physical understanding of the universe. you know, Just this idea of location is just a concept, distance. And this isn't theoretical, it isn't something that actually is not helpful to think about, but it's something we can directly sense when we're valuing presence. We feel everything. That's why it's a real minor miracle when we have an interaction with someone, we're actually present. All of a sudden, you know, it's just our neighbor, but it's like a sacred moment. I uh, In the handout that I put on chat, and it's always, this document is always at the calendar event for this 10.30 group. So if you go to the public calendar and you look for the 10.30 Sunday group, you'll see the link for the Google Doc, and I always have articles there. And one of the articles was by this person, uh, Sarah Dowring. Uh, I got to know her a little bit before she passed away. She's one of the great benefactors of IMS and Set Meditation Society and many other Dharma organizations. She was also a Dharma teacher that I practiced with um, back before she passed away, of course. But she has this wonderful article. It's mostly about working with anger. But it's really about working with the mind. I mean, all the principles that she's talking about working with anger just will make sense with working whatever states of mind that you have. And it's just really, she gives this example of, uh, of a leaf. Like she was just going through a part of her life where there is just inconsolable sadness. I don't know if it was a loss or something to do with her family. But anyway, just a lot of sadness just couldn't get any space around it, just felt depressed by the sadness, and you can read this. But then one day, you know, she was just doing a practice, and I think she was on retreat, and she picked up a leaf, and she brought her attention to the leaf. She didn't have, like, she wasn't trying to, like, absorb into the leaf, but she just, her mind collected in the experience of seeing that ordinary leaf. And then, this is that breath of awareness, she realized that as at the time in those moments of being present with the leaf, her heart wasn't being weighed down by sadness and and initially, you know this was, as she was deepening her practice, she was a little weirded out by that. she thought, what, what is this a magical leaf <laughs> like something special about this leaf I'm going to keep this leaf and she did you know, and she like kind of. Just put it on her table. And, she... and of course, you know, it stopped working. <laughs> because, and then, you know, this, this led to the steepening. It isn't the leaf. <laughs> like sometimes we think, oh, it's this interaction I had with this person. No, probably it was more about the quality of your presence than that person or what that person said even. Or who that person is it's like when you feel really held by another person it may be true that that person had sort of really amazing qualities to kind of meet you but don't forget you must have had some amazing qualities to notice that you were being met they might have been even more amazing than whatever that person and and more important for you to notice that you were that the mind was 100% there in that moment. And how liberating that is. Thich Nhat Hanh, another one of our Western saints, you know, he got kicked out of Vietnam because as a monk, he was a peace activist during the war in the late 60s. I think he went to Paris for some of the peace talks and they wouldn't let him back. Nobody wanted him back. The South Vietnamese, North Vietnamese, the, the Americans... So, But the good fortune for the West, because he taught here for many decades before the last year or so of his life, he was allowed back and died in Vietnam just last February. But he talks about, you know, the only enemy is forgetfulness. Like we're forgetting this capacity we have to be present. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that we have to turn away sometimes, but... It's our sensitivity that helps us navigate when to open to the pain and when to turn away from the pain. You can't like figure that out as a blueprint, okay? This is when map it out ahead of time. We only know moment by moment what the heart's capacity is. What would be possibly be skillful to do to open to like what is skillful to pay attention to, to notice right now. So I'll come back to this topic next week, just noticing this liberating capacity of awareness, the soft power. But I really encourage you, just in ordinary moments, even when you your initial thought may be, I don't really know what awareness is. I'm not sure what the Buddha's talking about. That's okay. It's here and now, so you can start there. <laughs> right? Like, what might the word awareness be pointing to? Because I know it's here and now. You know, what does it mean to be awake in that way that's inclusive and fundamentally wholesome, onward leading, meaning it's never the cause for suffering? That doesn't mean that mindfulness doesn't expose us, but the exposure means I don't have to do the stressful dance of denial and distraction. So we'll come back to it next week. Let's just take a moment, let go of the words. Just enough time to take a breath or two together.